quite unusual. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. We are your hosts. I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And today we are talking about a super freaking crazy historical (laughs) horror. This story is seriously absolutely insane. It takes Mm -hmm. place in Louisiana, involves like the worst of the worst, um, a slave owning psychopath. And also it's kind of shrouded in like mystery, if you will. Mm -hmm. This story is about the LaLaurie Mansion and its tortured past. Yes. And you actually may already be familiar with this particular psychopath because she was portrayed by the beautifully talented Kathy Bates in American Horror Story. Love Kathy Bates. The whole, like, situation with Madame LaLaurie and Mm -hmm. then also, um, like, this whole voodoo thing that they brought in. That was the best part of that whole season. For sure. Yeah. So I want to bring something up. Mm -hmm. Um, We just got back from Salem, Massachusetts on Ugh. Monday. Yeah, I wanted to stay. I oh tried I tried everything in my power. Um, the Just entire time. There. Right? Yeah. The entire time we were on Redfin looking for houses. We contemplated just squatting on the street. Yeah, for like a minute. Yeah. And then it snowed, so we were like, <laughs> it was really cold. Maybe not today. <laughs> yeah, but it was beautiful. Oh my God. And if anyone, if you ever have the chance to go, definitely definitely recommend it yeah the history is just beautiful if you're into the witch thing cool but if not i mean the history there is just everything's just so old and oh my god the airbnb we stayed in was like what 300 years old yeah it was like 17 something was when it was built it was built before america was a fucking country yeah it's it's just amazing it was so amazing and all the cool stores that we got to go to it was like maybe my favorite vacation I know. Honestly. It's like Salem, Massachusetts, and then like Iceland. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Oh my God. We didn't go to Iceland together though. No, no, no. Next time for sure. Um, And I also just want to talk about one more thing really quick. Okay. Um, We just found out today that Donald Trump has lost the election. Mm, Yes. And Joe Biden is our new president. And Kamala Harris is the first woman VP ever. More importantly, woman of color. Kamala Harris (sighs) is the first female VP. It's so great. And I'm so excited. We toasted with champagne. We did. Um, It was amazing. I'm fucking pumped. It's just, I feel like I'm riding high right now, dude. It was a beautiful day, too, in Chicago. It was like, what, like 68 degrees. The sun was out. It's November. That is rare for Chicago. It was amazing. It was like... The heavens opened up and Biden is your president. Fuck Donald Trump. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Yeah. We just have, we just have to throw that in there. Yeah, yeah, we just have to because it's like right on the tip of our tongue. Yes. Um, and we'll stop with the politics talk because we know some of you don't like politics. Yeah. But that's okay. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is that on this last, well, not this last Friday, but the Friday before mm-hmm. the. Friday before Halloween, I guess. Yeah. We released a super fun Halloween special with our very best friend, Bub, of Slackjaw Punks. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please do. It's so fun. We talk tons of horror movie yes. things and likes and dislikes, and we have an argument, and it's just, it's so much fun. <laughs> 
And also, if you haven't checked out Slackjaw Punks, they're like fucking gods to us. Yeah, they're, it's really it's a really great podcast. If you like horror movies, really great insight. Bub is like, he knows the shit, so. Yeah, he's a fucking messiah. Yeah. And he's our best friend now. I like how you refer to him as our best friend, because <laughs> I'm not sure that he's aware that we're best friends, but at least we know we're all best friends, right? We are all best friends. Yeah, and we would love to hear your thoughts on the movies that we talked about, so... Let us know. Email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. And I guess without further ado, let's let's just get into this horrific tale. Let's get weird with it. Let's get weird. Should we? Let's do it. Okay, so first things first, I want to say that if you have not listened to our episode on voodoo, mm. that would be a fantastic companion episode for this one. Um, we go kind of into like the religion, the practices. We talk a lot about Louisiana and specifically New Orleans style voodoo. So check that out if you want to get a little bit of extra NOLA knowledge. Yes. A lot of good stuff in there. I was actually getting deja vu doing my research. Yeah. Because it was like a lot of crossover. So Yeah, totally. So if you haven't listened to it, listen to that one after this and you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. I promise. <laughs> So to set this story up, it's important, in my opinion, to to paint a picture of what the world that this story takes place in is like. So the horrors that our story takes place... Starting over. The horrors in our story take place in Louisiana, which was named after King the king of France, Louis the 14th, which I did not know. I didn't know that either. Louisiana, Louis. Louis. It's in there. Hmm. So that's sort of fun. So yeah, it was named after Louis the 14th by French explorer Robert Calvier de La Salle. That was so French. I love it. Was it? (laughs) Okay, I don't know. Um, And that was in 1682. He was one of the first people to settle the area. Mm. The French were the first to colonize just in this whole Louisiana territory area situation. And they were the largest European presence in the country at the time, which was estimated to be around 2 million people, which seems like so many. Wait, there were more French than there were English? Yes, at this time. Oh, shit. Okay. The French took control of basically the center of the entire country from Louisiana up to Canada which we obviously still see in Canada, like Montreal and stuff, has a huge French influence. Mm -hmm. And just a fun fact that I found, Biloxi, Mississippi, served as the capital of the French colony for like a super long time. (laughs) And I don't think of Mississippi as sort of a hotbed of French sophistication. (laughs) Maybe like a hotbed of fried catfish, but not, not French culture. Yeah, I don't think I've ever thought of Mississippi as a hotbed of any type of sophistication. No. But but I can spell it super fast. <laughs> M-S-S-I-S-I-P-P-I. God, that was so cool. <sighs> At the time, Louisiana was not yet a state. It was still known as the Louisiana Territory. New Orleans became the crown jewel of the French colony, and in 1718, With the perfect climate, access to ports, and the introduction of enslaved people to make all of that like pesky manual labor thing a pass for the ruling class, it was like seriously their crown jewel. (laughs) 
Cotton and sugarcane plantations popped up all around the area, along with sprawling plantation homes, which are beautiful, I will say. They are beautiful. But problematic. Yeah. And a city center full of ornate little mansions giving birth to the French Quarter, which we now know and love. So beautiful. From 1756 to 1736, a war broke out called the Seven Years' War, which was probably named that because it was like seven years long, I think. Great name. Fantastic. Very descriptive. <laughs> this is basically like, I'm going to call it the OG World War One. Mm. Like, this is like World War One before World War One was cool. Like pre-World War One. Absolutely. Okay. Europe was fighting over basically every available piece of land on the planet in mm-hmm. like this mad dash to be the ultimate colonizer i know you hate the way i say that word is that what you're laughing at no i was just laughing at this mad dad (laughs) the ultimate colonizer well they were like (laughs) what's all this then land it's like an australian accent it's pretty bad (laughs) oh what's all this then? (laughs) now when i say available i don't actually mean available because there were, surprise, surprise, natives to every single country, but the whites were just like, nah, those don't count as people. Mm. So they chose to ignore the fact that people already lived there and fight for the land like the last everything bagel in like office bagel day. You know what I mean? You know, like when people bring yeah. like tons of bagels to the office and yeah. everyone's like, where are the everything seasoned ones? And they always, they always go first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one wants to be left with the cinnamon raisin bagel unless they have hazelnut cream cheese. Then I'm all in. A godsend. (laughs) But usually it's just regular and it's just like kind of weird to put that on a cinnamon raisin bagel. And it has like weird crumbs in it and like kind of everything bagel seasoning in there too. And you're like, well, this is going to be terrible on the cinnamon raisin bagel. The war mostly included France, England, Spain, but also Prussia, Austria, Russia, Sweden, Portugal, Germany, and Saxony joined in the fun because why wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Sounds super fun. I won't go into too many more details about this because this isn't a history podcast, even though I always try to make it one. (laughs) This is a murder podcast. Murder paranormal podcast. We're obsessed with the occult, Nicole. Yeah, we are. In 1763, the French seceded to the Spanish, relinquishing their hold on New Orleans and the surrounding area, and, of course, the rest of Louisiana, in accordance with the Treaty of Paris. In the 1780s, other Europeans flocked to the area due to the fantastic trade routes set up along the rivers and inlets, but Spain maintained the stronghold in the area. Louisiana wouldn't become an official state until 1812, a few years after the Louisiana Purchase in 1803, when everyone's favorite good cop, bad cop rolled into one, <laughs> baby Tommy Jefferson had a hand in the purchase of almost a million square miles of the U.S. for the measly price of $15 million. Fifty? I wonder what that equates to in today's money. I looked it up and it was many billions, yeah. but it still doesn't seem like enough. That's a lot, though. They bought like half of the United States I for guess. like $300 billion. Well... They basically bought a country (laughs) for how much, like a quarter of what Bill Gates is worth. Mm, True. So Bill Gates, you're really sleeping on buying countries. Like what's going on Buy a country and so we can all live in it. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, we don't have to now because we have a new president. That's true. Can we just like for one minute like record scratch? Yes. Can you like cut in like a record scratch sound? I don't know if I... Yeah, but let me just... Just in case. Fucking nailed it. That was amazing. <laughs> okay. So let's go back to something that's super, super important. Um, the import of enslaved people. Mm. And I also just want to bring up, um, you will hear us say enslaved people a lot, me especially. Um, we don't really use the term slaves anymore. I might say it a few times as a slip of the tongue, but I just learned you don't say slaves. It's like, because it's not their fault. So they are oh. enslaved people. Oh, I did not know that. I also didn't know that until I was looking this but up. That makes a lot of a lot of sense. Yeah, so I'm going to try very hard to say enslaved, enslaved. people okay. in lieu of saying slaves yes. because it just feels like the right thing to do. Right. So as we know, or you should know, this was basically the most important import and export globally at this time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. This is extremely relevant to our actual story, which we'll get to in like a hot minute, so don't worry. In 1719, two French ships arrived in New Orleans, one called the Duke de Maine, and the other called the Aurore. <laughs> you have to say it with that accent or it, oh, it doesn't count. Okay, mm-hmm. just making sure. Yeah, they were carrying the first enslaved Africans to Louisiana, in the following years, thousands of enslaved people would be brought to Louisiana, most of them hailing from the Senegambian coast in West Africa. If you're looking at a map right now, which I'm sure you are, because what else would you be doing? Yeah, I mean, everyone in their cars right now just has like a dash map. I have a dash map. You know, you got to. You have to. <laughs> so look on your dash maps and you'll see that this is modern day Benin and the Democratic Republic of Congo, which AKA is the cradle of voodoo, Ooh. which you'll learn about after you listen to our voodoo episode after this, I'm right, sure. Right. It's estimated that two thirds of the enslaved people brought to Louisiana by French slave trade were from West Africa, many of which brought with them their religion, the mighty Voodoo, Voodoo, or whichever way you want to say it, I mm. guess. Voodoo totally terrifies the whites <laughs> at this time. They're freaking out, okay? It still does. Come it, on. It, it honestly does. Like, witchcraft and stuff is, like, kind of getting cool, but Voodoo is still all about Voodoo dolls to the whites. Yeah. Which we are the whites, so. <laughs> We're allowed to make fun of ourselves. It's fine. We deserve it. <laughs> we do. <laughs> So voodoo's totally terrifying the whites, trademark. And they see it as a very scary, like dark sort of magic, and they try to outlaw the practice of it. Voodoo practitioners are seen as just pure evil and are considered a force to be feared and kind of beaten out of existence, if you will. Yeah, and I think this is a theme that we see a lot within our research specifically. It's just People, especially white people, trademark the whites. <laughs> exactly, are afraid of what they don't understand, and instead of trying to understand it, they just label it as evil and stigmatize it, which is just what the whites do. It's what the whites do. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's a huge thing. Um, again, I'm just gonna say it. I encourage you to listen to our episode on voodoo. Yes, gives tons and tons of background into the history of voodoo and the practices in Louisiana and, like I said, specifically New Orleans. So you're gonna love it. I promise. 
Enslaved people at this time outnumbered their captors in staggering numbers. Louisiana is the ninth largest city in the entire country at the time, which is insane to me also. But most of the population is made up of enslaved people. Oh, so that's where the numbers were coming from? Yeah, basically. During Spanish rule in 1768, a decree is issued which bans the trade of native African slaves, which sounds cool, but there was really like no movement towards the actual like abolition of African slave trade. So people still Mm -hmm. did it like on the DL. Yeah. But they were more into, I'm going to say this word and I'm so sorry to say it. They were more into like breeding their own. I'm so sorry, but it's, it's what was happening. Yeah. It's very sad. It's disgusting. A new law was enacted, which allowed enslaved people to buy their freedom and the freedom of other enslaved people. So that's sort of a step in the right direction. Yeah, but it's like, we're shitty, so we're going to like kind of try to be not as shitty, but you're still shitty. It's like, we know like you're an indentured servant, Um, (laughs) but if you pay us a lot of money, you don't have to be. Right. But you don't have access to money. Mm. So what are you going to do? And then there were other... (laughs) There were other laws also set in place that stated that you cannot use extreme force against all of these human beings that you own like animals. And the unjust killing of enslaved people was also sort of frowned upon at this time. Oh, just just frowned upon? Yeah, yeah. They're like, don't do it where we can see it. And we won't know. So you can still own people. Like, that's totally cool. On the up and up. But you can't import any more from Africa And you can't beat them to death. In front of others. Yeah, like most of the time. This is a lot like spraying perfume on like a pile of dog shit to me. (laughs) Yes. Like it's better. It doesn't smell like dog shit for now, Mm. but it's still dog shit. Yeah. So (laughs) that's kind of a bit of the background on the area and the social climate at the time, which I just felt like was kind of important to our story. Oh, yeah. To set up exactly what time it is and how things are yeah so now to like the real meat and potatoes let's get into madame la lorie yes let's okay so marie delphine mccarty aka madame delphine la lorie was born march 17th 1787 Other accounts just say she was born around 1775 in New Orleans in the Spanish territory. So oddly enough, she's a Pisces. Whoa. Which doesn't seem right to me, but whatever. No. I was trying to look up what La Lorie meant. Uh Just because, I don't know, I was like, La means the, right? Mm -hmm. So like, what does Lorie mean? Right. Couldn't super find it. But I did find, which is very fun, Delphine means calmness. Which she definitely exudes. You'll see later. Mm. But it also means dolphin. (laughs) Dolphin. So I don't know what the truth is. And I guess names could have a million meanings. Calm dolphin. But it just made me laugh. So I laughed out loud (laughs) when I read that it meant calmness in dolphins. Wow. Because if she's one thing, she's a very calm dolphin. Calm dolphin. Yeah. Well, this calm dolphin grew up very privileged. (laughs) Her parents, Louis Bartholomew McCarty and Marie Jean Le Roble. Oh, this is a beautiful name. I looked up how to say that name and had to listen to it like 17 times. Well, French is hard. It is very hard. They just don't pronounce a lot of letters. So. Yeah. 
So her parents immigrated from Ireland to New Orleans around the 1730s. They were very prominent members of the, the New Orleans European Creole community. Her mother was French and her father was a very rich Irishman. It's also said that she had some Irish nobility in her blood as well. Well, of course she did. It's like when you do like one of those Ancestry.com tests and you're like, yeah. what? I'm related to Cleopatra? That's fucking crazy. <laughs> well, I did one of those and I'm not related to anyone noble. Are you part Neanderthal? No, I'm just super fucking Irish. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so her parents and her family were very high up in New Orleans society. They were among and quote, the elite, as a wealthy Creole family. Her uncle, Esteban Rodriguez Miro, was the governor of two Spanish-American provinces, and later on, one of her cousins, Augustine de McCarty, became the mayor of New Orleans from 1815 to 1820. Okay, so she knows, like, the mayor. Yeah, she's, like, in in the in crowd. She's in with the mayor. She's in. That's what matters. Well, yeah. During Madame Lollery's childhood, New Orleans and most of Louisiana were controlled by the Spanish. The Spanish controlled the area from 1763 to 1801. When Madame Lollery was four years old, the Haitian Revolution started in 1791. And this sort of created fear amongst slaveholders in the U.S. because... They thought that this would cause an uprising of slaves in the U.S., which it did. It did, and it should have. And obviously, we're anti-slavery. Right, <laughs> rightly mean, so. Duh. <laughs> Delphine's uncle was actually killed by his own slaves. And this just kind of caused slaveholders to discipline and act even more harshly towards their enslaved people just to instill fear that they wouldn't try it again. So... The enslaved people rose up, and then obviously they didn't have any power, so they were just kind of shoved back down, and then that just kind of like put even more strongholds against them and the way that they were treated. Oh, that's so fucking sad. I know, it kind of backfired. Yeah, and then things just got worse for them. Mm-hmm. Other than that, though, not really much is known about Madame Lallery's early life. She was known to be very beautiful, very beautiful as a child, and she would eventually grow into a beautiful woman. She grew up very privileged, like I said. Her family owned a plantation in the country and also a house in the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. There's nothing about Delphine's childhood that would hint that she would later grow into the monster that she was. She was just actually very well-liked, and she was known as a charming girl. Oh, yeah. She's so charming. She did, however, marry three times. When Delphine was just 13 years old... This makes on... me feel sick. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it was the times, though, too. You gotta think. So she's 13 years old. On June 11th, 1800, she married her first husband. Though, depending on when she was actually born, there's some accounts that say she was 24. Because no one really knows the exact year she was born. I'm going to say she was honestly probably 13. We're going to go with 13 years old because it was not likely she would have waited until 24 to get married back in the 1800s. So no, you're like basically like a useless person. Yeah. So and, we're, we're yeah. going to go with the 13 years here. Yeah. So her first husband, Don Ramon de Lopez y Angulo, was a prominent high-ranking Spanish royal officer. Definitely not 13. No, no. Or 
probably even remotely around that age. I'm going to guess. Can I just throw out a wild number Please here? Please do. He was 45 years old. Yeah, I would I would, would not she was say that that's not inaccurate. She was an infant child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of info on their marriage or really on her husband at all. He married Delphine without the permission of the King of Spain, though. <gasps> and at this time, it was against protocol, but it wasn't unheard of for Spanish government officials to wed while they were living in New Orleans. You know, I would tell the King of Spain, but this 13-year-old, holy shit, she's a so hot. <laughs> Well, many thought that the reason that he went ahead with the marriage instead of waiting for the official approval was that she had come from such a prominent family. Mm. So it was very beneficial to him to become a part of this family. So that's kind of why he was just like, screw it. Let's just do it. Not only is that 13-year-old super fucking hot, but she's like rich. (laughs) Like really rich. (laughs) Remember when I said that Spain was in control of New Orleans? You sure did. Well, in 1801, just a year after uh, Delphine's marriage, Napoleon and France regained ownership of Louisiana. And then in 1803, like you said, would go on to sell it to the U.S., also known as the Louisiana Purchase. Yeah. Which, fun fact about Napoleon, he wasn't short. Really? That was propaganda. Yeah, he was like 5'8", I think, or something. I love that fake news, though. Oh, you (laughs) gotta get that. He's a tiny, tiny man. Gotta get it. I know, and he's like characterized as like being 4'3", or something. He was like the average height for a man, which was like 5'6", or 5'8", or something. Whoa. But someone called him like tiny little Napoleon, like as like (laughs) an insult, and then it just fucking took off. That's amazing. Very fun. I love it. So during around this time of the Louisiana Purchase, Delphine's Spanish husband was called to the court of Spain. Some accounts say that the reason he was called to Spain was because the king was pissed off that he married Delphine without his permission. Yeah, he like wanted him to like show pics first. He's like, <laughs> how hot is this 13-year-old? Pics or it didn't happen. That's right. And he didn't have pics, so did it happen? Yeah. Apparently, once they arrived in Spain, the king threw out the case because Delphine got along so well with the queen, but no one knows if that's actually for sure or if that's just a rumor. And her husband was actually reappointed the position of Council General for Spain in the territory of New Orleans. Holy shit. So they just like roll up to Spain. She's like 14 years old. Um, and she's like, oh my God, the queen, she's so nice. She's like, oh my God, your dress is so cute. Where'd you get it? And they just totally get along and they yeah. like bond over how they both have their ears pierced or something. That's what some people say. Who knows if that's actually true? Sounds like a tall tale. So at this time, when they come to Spain, Delphine is actually pregnant. Mm. And her husband and Don Ramon, after they get cleared of their charges, who knows if it was because of the earrings thing, who knows if it was something else. Absolutely. They make their way back to New Orleans from Spain, where they stop in Havana, and her husband actually gets sick and dies. No shit. Mm -hmm. You know what? He thought you were supposed to eat the cigars in Havana, and he (laughs) choked on one. It's crazy, isn't it? Idiot. Yeah. Well, you know, Don Ramon. Well, a few days after her husband's death, Delphine gave birth to a daughter and named her Marie Borja Delphine Lopez y Angulo de la Candelaria. That is... <laughs> Holy shit. And nicknamed her Borquita, 
Which is way easier to say and also cuter. Borquita. Borquita. That is cute. So the newly widowed and now single mom, Delphine, and her daughter. Is like 15 at the time. Super young. So her and her daughter move back to New Orleans. In 1808, Delphine married her second husband, who was a wealthy banker, a merchant, a lawyer, and a legislator. Unicorn. A real renaissance man, if you will. Love a renaissance man. And his name was Jean Blanc. Okay, that's a hot-ass name. (laughs) Jean purchased them a home that they called Villa Blanc on 409 Royal Street in New Orleans. How cool would it be? To have a house that has a name. And name it after your own last name. <laughs> Ville Blanc. When I buy a house, I'm going to name it Villa Kelso. You should just name it Nicole. <laughs> oh, I can do that too. This is my house. I don't know why you would talk like that. <laughs> I've never spoken like that in my life. That's her real accent, you guys. That's insane. Just totally doing like a radio voice right now. It's I wild. Anyways. Delphine and Jean had four children named... Marie-Louise Janine, born in 1810. Louise-Marie Laurie, born in 1811. Jean-Pierre Pauline Blanc, born 1815. And Marie-Louise Pauline, born in 1816. So I don't know why they couldn't come up with other names than Marie and Louise, but... They all had the same name. Their their names were Marie-Louise, Louise-Marie... Jean-Pierre, which, okay, they kind of stepped out there. He's the, that's the boy. Yeah. Or Marie-Louise, who, if you don't remember, was the other baby's name. Right. So, But they have different middle names. So I guess that that's doesn't how they matter. Distinguish. I don't know. What if your sister's name was also Nicole? It would be weird. That would be fucking insane. Wait, didn't George Foreman do that? Didn't he name all of his children George, except his daughter was like Georgina? Yeah, he did, I think. He definitely... I know that he named his daughter Georgina. We... I'm pretty sure I fucking forgot about George Foreman. All right. Well, I'm going to name all of my kids Nicole, and Uh then my sons will be Nicholas. That makes the most sense. It's the only way. Jean Blanc, however, was not a very good man. He was involved with the slave smuggling business and owned boats that were famously used in smuggling slaves all over New Orleans. And despite that, he was known as a very prominent man in the city and was even involved in meetings that resulted in the Louisiana Purchase, so he's big time. In 1816, Jean Blanc died or disappeared. No one knows because there are no documents of his death anywhere. Well, whatever. Seems kind of suspicious, right? It does. Maybe he was murdered. Maybe he ran away because he was in trouble from all the shady dealings. Or maybe Delphine killed him, which we know is a big possibility. You know what? Part of me hopes she I kind of do too. Maybe he like, maybe it was one of his daughters, Marie Louise. Or Louise Marie. (laughs) Yeah. And he like called her by the wrong one because they have the same fucking name, Mm -hmm. just in a different order. And she was so angry. So pissed. She's like, Fadier, you call me. I don't know why they have French accents. They're Creole. But I'm going with it. Fadier, you call me Louise Marie one more time and they will stab you in the heart. And then she did. And then he died. He died. And then they ate his body. And then they did a dance around a fire. Okay, now you're just... And then there were rainbows in the sky. You're spiraling. Shit, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) So anywho, with the death of Jean Blanc, Delphine 
was now left with a shit ton of money. Oh, hell yeah. And she became a well-known figure in the city. I'm sure she did. On June 25th, 1825, Delphine married her third and final husband, who was a physician named Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalaurie. So he also had Louis in there. I feel like every French person in this time had Louis somewhere in their name. I guess that was the king's name. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you have to? Probably. Yeah, probably. Her hus- This husband, the third one, was apparently a lot younger than her, and I think she was kind of like his sugar mama. Oh, was he 13? He wasn't. He was a doctor, though. Oh, right. <laughs> but it was 1831. Yeah. And she bought the property on 1140 Royal Street and managed it in her own goddamn name without the help of her young husband. Okay, so the first part of me says, hell yeah, girl, you get that, mm. right? Um, the second part of me says, what's unheard of for a woman at yeah, this time? Right? And the third part of me says, just wait, you're going to hate her. <laughs> In 1832, she built a three-story mansion on the property with attached slave quarters. Here she lived with her younger husband and her two daughters while she continued to be a high-ranked member in the New Orleans society. Sidebar, when I went to New Orleans, I visited her mansion. Did you really? Yes, I have pictures. I didn't go inside because it's actually a private residence and it's owned by by an oil tycoon from texas is what the internet said okay apparently he's been living there since 2013 and he doesn't allow tours which i don't blame him because it's his house right it's his house he didn't even actually allow american horror story to film inside or outside of it when they did the season with kathy bates and fun fact also it was also owned by nick cage i knew this it was one of the, like, 18 properties he owned that eventually put him into debt. Do we, I feel like we talk about how Nicolas Cage goes into debt all the time. I feel like we talk about Nick Cage on every episode. Um, on I'm every episode. And then also just, like, in our daily lives. Yeah. So, Nick Cage, if you're listening to this, which, <laughs> hey, babe, we know you are. Hey. Um, reach out to us because maybe we can help you. Get out of debt a little bit, you know? Yeah. I'm unemployed, so I'm very poor. But <laughs> I would like to take pity on you, who's probably poorer than me at this point. Well, I mean, you don't have a mansion that's foreclosed. So, I, I, I mean... don't even have one mansion. Yeah. And you've never had the opportunity to buy a pet octopus or a giant burial tomb, also in New Orleans. What? So, <laughs> yeah, you didn't know? No. That's what he had. Well, that's part of the reason why he's in debt right now. Because he bought a giant... He just bought a bunch tube. of shit. Well, yeah, that's what he does. He had a pet octopus. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I wonder what its name was. Nick Jr. What if it was Mandy? It probably wasn't. It was Nick Jr. He was sure. probably just like, God, I can hear his voice in my head and I'd want him to do an accent, but I'll never do it justice. <laughs> he was probably just like, that's my octopus. <laughs> that's a bad Nick Cage, but I heard it in my head and it sounded great. That's my octopus. That was a really good that Nick Cage. That was a bad one, too. But yeah, so um, uh, ghost tours or paranormal researchers don't really have access to the mansion. But I will say, I bet Bagans is just dying to get possessed in there. Oh, Zach Bagans. Because you know. You know he wants to. He wants to. He's going to be like, come at me, ghost. Come at me, Lothary. And the ghost is going to like not be there or something because he's Zach Bagans. 
I mean, that's usually what happens. Yeah, for sure. Madame Lalaurie and her husband threw lavish parties that were so grand that they were featured in the local newspaper. Wow. Many called Delphine the Queen of Creole Society, and many people ranted and raved about how nice and how kind she was. She was such a little sweetie face. Mm. Everyone loved her, which is insane. Everyone, truly, people... Everyone loved Delphine Lalaurie. Despite her monster-like tendencies and her little house of horrors, if you will, Madame Lalaurie and her husband, Dr. Lalaurie, petitioned the court to free a slave they owned on October 26, 1832, named De Vince. This petition was granted in 1833, just eight months before the fateful fire that we have yet to speak about. Mm. There's also a record that she freed another slave named Jean-Louis. No. no. In 1819, but no one really knows. Not sure why these men were freed, given what we know about her and her treatment of enslaved people. Doesn't seem on brand for her. Eventually things with her little boy toy, Dr. Lalaurie, turned a little sour, and on November 16th, 1832, Delphine petitioned the first judicial district court for a separation from bed and board from her husband. She claimed that he had beat and mistreated her, so they didn't live together anymore, but they were technically still married. And this is because getting an actual divorce was super frowned upon, I was trying to figure out when divorce actually became a thing in the U.S. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. And all I could really come up with is that it happened in the middle to the end of the 19th century is when it kind of started to take off. So I'm not even sure if you could get a divorce in 1832. And if you could, usually only the man would be the one able to file for one. So that probably played a factor as well. Yes, I I did know that, that it was mostly men that could request a divorce and mm-hmm. not women, which is fucking insane to me. Right, but I mean, that doesn't surprise me given the times. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, honestly. But I don't know. So so they're split up at this time, right? They're split up, Yeah, basically. so he's not living there, but they're technically on mm. paper still married. Okay, okay, right. Because remember, it's her house. Oh, shit, yeah, dude. So she kicked him the fuck out. Whoa. Delphine claimed that he actually had treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Her son and her two daughters also had her back and confirmed this to the court. Delphine did not have any children with her third husband, though he was present at the house during the fateful day that the mansion caught fire And Noelle, we'll get into that next. On the fateful day of April 10th, 1834, Delphine would bear witness to the end of the life she had so grown accustomed to. No, she didn't die, so don't think that. But her private (laughs) life and dirty laundry would be aired for all to see. This is the day her legacy as a serial killer and torturer would forever be etched into stone. Now, I do have to say that everything that I'm about to say and sort of talk about should be taken with a grain of salt and not as a hard 100% true fact. Yes. There were not great record keeping at this time. Like, that wasn't a thing. Nope. And we all know that the truth can kind of spin into lore, like with every retelling. Yeah. We've all played telephone. 
Right. And I mean, this was such a long time ago, so. Yeah. And it's so just such an extreme story that people have a tendency to get carried away. Right. So just remember that for now. And then we'll talk more about this little Venn diagram of fact fiction and I guess whatever lies in between in a moment. On this day, the mansion at 1140 Royal Street caught fire. The police were called by neighbors who saw smoke billowing out of the back of the house. They alerted the volunteer fire department, since there wasn't an actual fire department at the time. It was just like, everything was super new, you know? Yeah, that's insane to me, though. It's pretty wild to think about, but this was also hundreds of years ago. Yeah, very true. They all rushed to the house to put out the fire. Neighbors said that the woman of the house, Madame Delphine Lalaurie, was seen trying to collect her jewels and furs all by herself and bring them outside to save them from burning in this fire, which was totally unheard of at the time, especially for a woman of her social and monetary standing. To do any sort of work, even the moving of clothing, was just absolutely out of character. I mean, that's what servants and slaves are for, right? So when asked where her servants were, she told everyone to mind their own damn business. And she carried away, hastily retrieving her valuables. But, I mean, everything was on fire. Right. I think anyone would be frantically scrambling to save their belongings. I mean, I sure shit wouldn't wait for my servants, but I know why she wasn't. Well, her servants were a little tied up at the moment. Yeah. In the meantime, the neighbors tried to respond to the fire themselves because things were getting out of hand, and Delphine was like, it's fine, help me with these furs. They attempted to enter the slave quarters, but the door was locked. The neighbors demanded the keys from the Lalleries, but they totally refused to give them up and acted as if they didn't care at all that the enslaved people in there might die in the fire. Dicks. Frantically, the neighbors broke down the door to ensure that everyone had been... Everyone that had been inside had been evacuated, and what they saw was ghastly. In a report given by one of the neighbors, they stated what they had found. This is a quote. Seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. The enslaved people inside begged for help as they explained that they had been imprisoned there for months on end. Now, this was just the slave quarters out back in, like, this property. The place where they refused to give the key to? Mm-hmm. Well, Finally, the police and these firefighters arrive on the scene. They enter through the kitchen, which was the source of the fire, like, where the smoke was coming from. Mm-hmm. And they find a 70-year-old woman chained to the stove with an iron bracket around her ankle. She said that she had started the fire as a way to kill herself. By all accounts, the woman had sunken in cheeks and was slowly being starved to death, despite ironically being chained to a stove and being forced to cook for people, which just, to me, makes it even more disgusting. It would later be revealed that Delphine and slash or her husband would beat their two daughters every time they tried to sneak food to this woman. She said that she was so afraid of being punished that she would rather die than face what the Lalleries had in store for her. She said that the people taken to the uppermost room never came back down. Can you even imagine being so tortured that setting a fire 
hoping that you're going to burn to death as a better option in your mind. I absolutely cannot. That's crazy. That's a big yikes. Yeah. It's terribly, terribly sad. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the authorities were like, well, we simply must see what's going on in that uppermost room. (laughs) So they went to this large, spacious attic. When they opened the door, they stopped dead in their tracks, and some of these men even vomited from the stench that came wafting through the door and struck them in the face like the sting of a wasp. Warning, this is going to be very graphic. So if you don't want to hear, skip ahead a little bit. Yeah, great warning. Good idea. The smell emanated from the piles of human corpses, organs, and limbs riddling the attic, The onlooker's gaze was drawn to small cages containing full-grown adults, humans strapped to wooden tables, and living beings literally chained to walls with their eyes gouged from their sockets and their fingernails ripped from their fingertips. That's like, I can't, that's the one thing for me where that and the Achilles heel in horror movies when you get like your, those are the two things where I'm just like, I can't, I'm, I'm done, I'm out. I can't handle fingernail shit. Fingernail shit and Achilles heel shit. Like when they're hiding under the bed or something oh, and they're like, yeah. slice someone. It's so bad. So it's, bad. I'm so sorry I said that. My stomach just turned. <laughs> also, it took me maybe, I'm going to say three days to write this section because it was making me so grossed out and just like, it's, it's rough. Okay. Mm-hmm. Still, there were others in this attic with their mouths crudely sewn shut only after being stuffed with human and animal feces. The flayed skin of others hung in shreds from bodies, once uninfected by gangrene, but now not so lucky. Human ears piled on a table, or worse, sewn to the bodies of others, while their original owners bled until some were lucky enough to die and escape this mortal coil. One eyewitness account claims that they found a woman with her skin peeled off her body in a spiral so that she sort of resembled a caterpillar from hell. Okay, I read that too, and I couldn't picture what they were talking about when they said that she looked like a caterpillar. Her skin was peeled to look like a caterpillar? So what I'm getting from this is like, you know, those cute little caterpillars that are like black and orange stripes? Yeah. I feel like they peeled her skin in giant like stripes off of her body. Like a spiral. So it was like... Yeah, like patch, like like lines. patchwork. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Okay. That's what I was. I couldn't fortunately picture. I couldn't picture in my head how that would make her look like a caterpillar, mm-hmm. but that's how they describe it everywhere. Yeah, I know, and I was just yeah. I didn't, I couldn't get that. Not that I wanted the mental image, but I just, right. Okay, so that okay, that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's what I picture, sort okay. of like stripes, if yeah. you will. Ugh, I ugh. know, I know. Another woman had her bones broken and reset to heal at very odd angles, forcing her body into the likeness of a crab. Another account stated a person was chained to the wall and had been disemboweled with their intestines tied around their own waist, while they bled and slipped in and out of consciousness. There were reports of a crude attempt at sex change, with a woman's breast carved off her body and sewn to the chest of a man, while that man's genitals were sewn to the groin of the debreasted woman. <laughs> That's not how sex changes work. What was the 1800s? Fuck. They didn't know anything, okay? Yeah, true. Many of these tortured and enslaved people were reported to still be alive, slowly starving, infected, and bleeding to death. 
Others were said to have been long dead and just rotting in place amongst the barely living. Other reports said that some of the dead found in the attic were mutilated beyond recognition. Among all of these horrors, crude, rusty surgical tools hung on the wall in jars of human teeth decorated shelves, which is giving me like hard Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes or like the hills have eyes or something. There was a woman who was fitted with an iron collar and was chained with heavy irons on her feet. There was a man who had a large hole in his head. Some reports said that there was a spoon or I also saw a stick jutting from the hole used to stir up his brains. His body was covered from head to toe with scars and open wounds filled with worms and maggots. The group found a boy described as mulatto who said that he had, quote, been chained for five months being fed daily with only a handful of meal and receiving every morning the most cruel treatment. So I don't really know what that was. Um, I'd like to think in my heart of hearts that maybe they were nicer to him because he was definitely a rape baby. Yeah. Um, And also he was still a child. But I don't know. I have no hope for these people. Uh, Yeah, they're just terrible. One of the many who entered the premise was Judge Jean-Francois Canone, who provided the following information of what he found at the Lallerie Mansion. I'm going to replace a bad word with N-word, because I don't want to say it, because yeah. you can't say it. Yeah. Not saying it. Don't say it. So, Jean-Francois said, Among others, an N-word wearing an iron collar and an old N-word woman who had received a very deep wound on her head and was too weak to be able to walk. So he's just kind of giving like a very mild report of what's happening, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the judge had questioned the man of the house, Mr. Louis, who happened to be there for some reason. Right. About the slaves. And he was curtly told some people had better stay at home rather than come into others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. That was Dr. Lallery yeah. who said that? Yeah, he said that. Okay. Yeah. So this dude was just like mad, I guess, someone was telling him what to do. Um, how about you just don't fucking torture people? It's I've never tortured someone. It's that easy to do. It's so easy. You just don't. You just don't. And then you never do. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty <laughs> wild how that works. So this obviously horrific event was the undoing of the Lalleries in their high society circles. The news of their cruelty was shared in the New Orleans Bee, which is a newspaper, and I found the article, and it was fucking delicious. You know how much I love old-timey articles? I know. It's your favorite. It's basically my favorite thing. Um, So this was published on April 11th, which is the next day, 1834. I'm going to read a little quote from this article, which is very fun. The quote is, should I do a voice? You always do. I want to. Do it. These slaves were the property of the demon in the shape of a woman whom we mentioned at the beginning of this article. It's Madame Delphine Lallery. (laughs) Just so you know. They had been confirmed by her for several months, and in the situation from which they had thus provincially been rescued and had been merely kept in existence to prolong their sufferings and make them taste all that was most refined cruelty could inflict. So basically, 
they're like, she tied these slaves up for a really long time and then beat the shit out of them and were super mean and she's the devil. Which is funny because she has that famous line in Waterboy, mm-hmm. Kathy Bates. Yes. <laughs> Both of her characters. Deliver it. She's the devil. Vicky Valencourt. Mama says. Vicky Valencourt's the devil. <laughs> Reports of anywhere from 7 to 50 to like 100 people were abused and tortured and murdered at oh, the wait, hands. Wait. Reports from 7 to 50 to 100? Yep. It's all over the place. That's a lot of... That's a wide range here. Pretty big discrepancy. So there were these original seven in the slave quarters. Yeah. Right? So that we know of. Some places that I was reading didn't even mention the attic. What? Yeah. Um, Others say it could be 50. Like she murdered and buried a lot of people that we don't know of. I couldn't get a firm grasp of how many people were in the attic. Yeah. Some people say she did it to over 100 people. Whoa. It's hard to get a firm number on any of this. Yeah. So it ranges from, like I said, seven. I saw 50. I saw 100. I saw 100 plus. Damn. And all these people were abused, tortured, murdered, what have you, by the Lalleries. Remember, all this information is from super long ago, and it's added to by the magic of folklore and... A world that just honestly loves gore. Yep, accurate. Everyone loves to sensationalize things, so we don't know what the hard truth was. Right. So while this is the information that I found, I cannot attest to how accurate it is. But Nicole will now bring us through the aftermath of this cute little event. Cute little event? Well, That's what we're going with? No. I take it back. There really isn't a lot known about what happened to Madame Lollerie after the fire. Harriet Martineau wrote in 1838 that she fled to France after the angry mob chased her out of town. Madame Lollerie knew she was in deep shit, so she called on her carriage and rushed out of there with her two daughters as fast as she could. Yeah, honestly, that was probably a great move on probably her part. Probably for the best. Mm-hmm. By this time, there was already a big group of people surrounding her home, and they were all aware of the horrors that had transpired in it. They were all waiting just to see her arrested, and they all just kind of wanted justice to be served. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, maybe. Instead, though, Madame Lollery's carriage burst through the gates and through the angry crowd, fleeing down the street away from all of the commotion. That's like a great mental scene. Yeah, right? Like bursting through these gates with like a burning mansion behind them. Picture like cobblestone roads. Has to be. Definitely at least one pitchfork. Yes. Like Frankenstein style. (laughs) Yeah. The carriage reached Bayou St. John, and from there, she hopped on a schooner, which is a very beautiful sailboat, and I looked up a picture, and kind of looks like a smaller pirate ship. This vessel took her to Mandeville, Louisiana, and it is believed she took refuge here for 10 days, or possibly in the Claiborne Cottages in Covington. We don't really know. So we don't know where she went. Yeah. Some say she then made her way to Mobile, Alabama. Oh, my favorite vacation spot. Have you seen that video where they find the leprechaun? (laughs) No. Okay, everyone don't want to sidebar too hard, but leprechaun in Mobile. We were watching this. You got to watch it. So So some say she went there, and then some say she went to New York, but 
What we ultimately do know is that Madame Lalaurie hopped on a boat and fled to Paris. Have to. You got to. You have to. While there is some evidence that she was in fact in Paris, some even maintain the idea that she never left the North Shore in Louisiana. But we don't really know. Right. You just don't know where she went. Yeah. When shit went down, Dr. Lalaurie, who was on the scene at the time of the fire. It's bad timing, dude. Bad timing. He fled as well. And there is really no record about what happened to him. But one thing was certain, though. Delphine separated from her husband that day for good. Yeah, she got what she wanted in that. She did. He probably just, like, shaved his handlebar mustache and was (laughs) like, no, it's not uh, Louis. It's um, uh, Louis Lallerie. (laughs) Yep, you can call me Louis. That's me. Word obviously got out about Lallerie and her house of horrors And according to the New Orleans Gazette, about 2,000 people came to the courthouse just to see the enslaved people that they had taken out of the house on the night of the fire. The enslaved people were treated for their wounds, and they were questioned about their abuse. One enslaved person told authorities that Madame Lalaurie would even torture and beat her slaves while she was entertaining people and having a party downstairs. I think they do that in the American Horror Story episode. I think they do too. I don't remember. It was so long ago that I saw it. Right. So she would be dressed in her beautiful gowns, her expensive jewelry. Delphine would steal herself away from her guests, come upstairs to the horror attic and endure the torture after she was satisfied she would then go back downstairs to her guests and pretend like everything was cool oh if you'll excuse me i'm so sorry i must go use the lavatory just give me just a moment and then from the attic you just hear like and nobody questions it and everyone stops and like the chandelier shakes and they look up and they're like uh and the music starts and everyone forgets Pretty much. Probably. Pretty much. Yeah. So next time you're at a party, which you shouldn't be because COVID, but if you are (laughs) um, and someone's like, excuse me, I just have to use the lavatory, ask them if they're torturing people in their attic. Yeah. Hold them at knife point and ask, I would say. Maybe don't go that strong at Maybe first. if it's like your weird uncle that you're just like not sure about. Feel feel the situation out. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, that's at true. first. That's true. If and it feels right... Hold them at knife point. Then come in with the knife. Okay. All right. (laughs) That's fine. All right. Are we in agreement here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, ask first. And then if they, like, kind of give you a weird eye, take the steak knife and be like, what's happening, Uncle Denny? Where are they? And then... It's always an uncle, too. It's got to be an uncle. Uncles are the weird ones. (laughs) Everyone has that weird uncle. You're like, okay, Uncle Denny. Denny. And your mom's like, no, honey, um, no, you can't hang out with Uncle Denny alone. No, we don't do that. And you just trust your mom. And then when you're older, you're like, what's wrong with Uncle Denny? And then you find out he's torturing people in his attic at Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, that that checks, checks out. Yeah. Another enslaved woman told of a time when Delphine even whipped her own daughter for bringing food and water to a slave who had just endured a terrible beating from her mother, which is probably the one that you talked about. It might be. the I mean... The woman chained to the stove. Yeah, but it seems like she, she didn't really feed any of her enslaved no, people. No, no. 
Harriet Martineau, who I spoke about a little bit earlier, she was a British writer, and she actually visited the mansion in 1836 while it was unoccupied, but it was still very badly damaged and torn apart from the night of the fire when the mob destroyed it. August 15th, 1842, Pauline Blanc, Lalaurie's son from her second marriage, wrote to his brother-in-law, Auguste La de la Seuss. Auguste de la Seuss? <laughs> that fucking rhymes. It's like Dr. Seuss. It's probably not how you pronounce it. It's but definitely how you say it. That's it rolls so off the tongue. cute. It just rolls off the tongue. So at this time, Pauline was staying with LaLaurie and his two sisters in exile in Paris. He wrote stating that his mother was very seriously considering returning to New Orleans ever since she fled in 1834. She believed that she could just come waltzing on back and everything would be super chill. Oh, I don't think it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Cringe. A little cringy there. Oh, I'm sorry. What was your name again? Oh, right, right, right. The woman that, one, wanted her enslaved people to burn to death, (laughs) and two, ripped out all their teeth, punched them in the face, and disemboweled them. Yeah, no, you you gots to go. No, yeah, we're cool. Do you want to come over for tea tomorrow? That'd be great. (laughs) Even though she was very adamant on returning, the pleas of her children and other relatives of her just to stay the fuck in Paris and, like... Maybe lay low for a while. Yeah, just like for a minute. For a little you bit. You know, it's like chill, like this season. And <laughs> then next season, we'll see what happens. Apparently it worked because she canceled any and all plans she had on returning to New Orleans for probably good. Dude, the fucking balls on this woman. <laughs> how do you even? It's unclear about how Madame Lalaurie eventually died. It is believed by some that she died in Paris on December 7th, 1849, in a boar hunting accident. She was apparently 62. Yeah, the perfect age for boar hunting. (laughs) This was recorded by George Washington Cable, who was a New Orleans novelist. Very fun. I have a a fun fact about Paris. Uh Uh-huh. So you are not allowed to be buried in Paris in the city limits unless you die in Paris. But you have to have been there for, I think it's a week prior to your death. So if you're there for a day and you die, you can't be buried? No, because their their, um, cemeteries are super overcrowded. And there's like one American. He's a rock star. I can't remember who it was. Buried Uh, in Paris. What's the doors? Yeah, Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison? Yeah, he's buried in Paris. I was going to say, I think he died in Paris. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of a fun fact. Also, their cemeteries are fucking incredible they got, there. They got the catacombs, too. I'm not going there. I'm not doing it. I got to do it. Can't do it. <laughs> so despite all of this, however, in the late 1930s, a man named Eugene Bacchus found something that might suggest otherwise that she actually died in Paris. Okay. Eugene was a sexton, also known as a grave digger, to St. Louis Cemetery Number 1. Of course. Because they, I don't know why they just can't name their cemeteries other If names. things don't have the word Louis in it, um, it's not, <laughs> it's not New not Orleans. <laughs> if you don't have that as part of your name, you're not a human, you don't, you're not real. Um, if that's not the name of your cemetery, there's no bodies here. This is a park. If that's not the name of your dog, it's a cat. Well, in the late 1930s, Eugene found an old cracked copper plate 
in alley four of the cemetery. And on this copper plate was an inscription in French. I'm going to spare you my terrible French accent. No! And probably a lot of mispronunciations and just read you the English translation. Can you do it with a French accent, please? I can't do a French accent. The inscription! Do it. I can't. You want to do it? Can I? Do it, please. (laughs) The inscription read. Oh, wait, that wasn't part of the quote. (laughs) The inscription read. Madame Lalaurie, born Marie Delphine McCarthy, died in Paris December 7th, 1842, at the age of 60. Six dash dash. It says six dash dash. Yeah. So I'd like to imagine that whoever was like carving this, like, died mid carve. Mid carve. Whoa. Yeah. Hmm. So according to French archives, she died on December 7th, 1849, at the age of 62. So this kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. But then why was she buried in New Orleans instead of Paris? No Who one knows? really knows. Maybe she wasn't there for seven days. Maybe she wasn't. Who knows? I don't know. So did was she buried in New Orleans? Was she buried in Paris? Or does Marie Laveau have her captured like Angela Bassett in American Horror Story? No one really knows. <gasps> Oh my god. No one really knows. No one knows. What? Madame versus Mambo? Hell yeah. That's a fight to the death I would like to see, actually. I got my money on Laveau. You have to. Yeah. It goes without saying that the mansion is regarded as the single most haunted place in all of New Orleans. Which is saying a lot because New Orleans is absolutely one of the most haunted places in the United States. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say probably the world yeah. Which is maybe. why Nick Cage was so hot for it. <laughs> he was so hot for it. Totally was. There are so many stories of the Lallerie Mansion and its current spectral occupants that it makes for a must-see for any ghost hunter. I mean, you can't go in, like Nicole said. Yeah. But you, you can, can you can take pictures of the outside of it though. You can be near it. <laughs> yeah. And that's awesome. A common apparition seen in the mansion is one of a naked black man wrapped in chains who is said to attack anyone who enters, seeking revenge against his enslavers, only to end his assault by vanishing in thin air. Children who have lived in or visited the house are said to be victims of a cruel spirit who whips them as they spew taunting words. But they're Mm. probably just like old-timey taunting words, so it's not that like offensive yeah kids are probably like what yeah i'm sorry did you just call me silly wait let me like tiktok you for a second oh my god tiktok with a ghost yeah fuck tiktok screams groans and cries and also the sound of animals being mutilated which Mm. uh, probably humans for being honest yeah um Fill the rooms in the dead of night, which would be fucking terrifying. Yeah. Even in the days of Madame Delphine Lallery's occupants of the house, neighbors and passers-by would swear that they heard strange sounds coming from the grand house at all hours. Yeah, no shit, because she was, like, torturing the hell out of all of her Mm, slaves. Yeah, so... That's probably what that noise was. They're probably like, that house is super haunted. But it was just like a human being getting his teeth ripped out in the attic. He was like, ah! And they're like, oh my god, it must be a ghost. (laughs) Crazy. That place is so haunted. Let's talk about some strange reasonings, I guess you could say, behind what happened. I know that this sounds insane, okay? But stick with me here. Okay. 
Even though Madame LaLaurie largely lives in infamy as a just super notorious murdering psychopath insane bitch, (laughs) there are a lot of people that think that everything was greatly blown out of proportion and she wasn't that bad. Um, okay. I know, I know, I know. It sounds fucking ridiculous, right? Yeah, yeah. When I was reading this, I was just rolling my eyes over and over. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. There is a line of thought that tries to paint her as... A kind of woman influenced greatly by her husband, Louis. Okay. It's argued that Louis was suspected of experimenting with Haitian voodoo, taught to him by a mambo to create poisons that would ultimately make his servants more docile. He was also suspected to be the one that was actually mutilating these enslaved people as some sort of like a quasi-medical experiment, if you will. Because remember... Oh, he was a doctor. He was a doctor. And science back in the day was just fucking torturing people. I read that as well. And I know we can never really know what the truth is, but I think it's safe to say that both of them had a part on everything that was going on in the house. Oh, for sure. I think Madame LaLaurie just kind of gets the fame for it, but I... It's like clicking when you said medical experiments. Mm-hmm. You know he was doing that. Shit. Oh, he had to. First off, you're totally right. They they both knew what was going on. Right. Everyone in that fucking house, the children, yeah. everyone knew. Everyone. You yeah. can't torture a bajillion people yeah. without people knowing about exactly. it. Exactly. Right. So there's oh. that, and also he's a fucking doctor, dude. Yeah. And, like, you could just call yourself a doctor back then. Right. Yeah. Like, I read, I was reading something about, um, I went into, like, a super hard, like, wormhole uh-huh. of just Googling old-timey, like, medical experience experiments, <laughs> which totally fucks me up, and I hate Wild. it so much. Yeah. It's disgusting. And I was reading that around this time, there was a man who, I'll use the word doctor lightly here, um, invented, like, the speculum. What's that? Um, the thing that like spreads your vagina open when you go to the gynecologist. Oh, okay. okay. And basically he did this by cranking open women's vaginas mm. until they ripped open. No. To no. see how far they could stretch. We're done. We're done here. And that was considered fucking science. And for a really, really long oh. time, I don't remember his name and fuck that guy, honestly. So yeah. who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for a really long time, he was hailed as, like, the founder and, like, idol and, like, fucking god, basically, of modern gynecology. I bet that's what Dr. LaLaurie was doing or was trying to do. He wanted to, like, discover something or put something on something and be like, oh, this works. And he was using enslaved people because to him, they weren't really people. They're not people to him. Yeah. He doesn't care about them. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm. he definitely, that was all him. I mean, yeah. her too, but I think that he was the medical experiment. Yeah. I, now I'm wondering, this is just abstract thought here. Yeah. Um, maybe they like were in some kind of weird cahoot situation mm-hmm. where he was like, hey, you're super rich and I'm a doctor, right? So like, it looks great if you marry me because you can't not be married and you own this house, which is very frowned upon. Oh. So I'll be the man of the house and I'm going to do this shit and you're going to be cool with it. And she was like, I don't fucking care. That's a good point. And then it became too much. So she wanted to separate from him. And then he was in the house. Maybe. Holy shit. And then he was in the house and he was like, well, I'm just going to kill all these like enslaved people because you don't want them and I don't live here anymore. Holy shit, Nicole. Are we you, cracking this open? We cracked it. We've cracked it, people. We're done with the podcast. Podcast out. Drop the mic. 
don't do it. They were expensive. <laughs> uh, but anyways, so there's a lot of what I read that says that it was probably the husband and yeah. that she just like went along with it. Which now that we like totally spiral into that, <laughs> yeah. makes a lot of fucking sense. Definitely, I think he, yeah, 100% had a part of it also. Minimum 50-50. Minimum, I would Minimum. say probably 70, 30. Oh, yeah. 30 on Delphine's side. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. for sure, dude. Fuck Louis and everyone named Louis. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Another, another article I read was by historian Daniel Rasmussen, mm-hmm. who I have some thoughts about. <laughs> he totally sympathized with white plantation owning enslaved people beating bad guys. And he argued that the violence at the time is what created violence in the Lollaries and in their hearts. I'm sorry. Yeah, according to little Danny Boy here, um, he stated that in 1771, when her uncle was murdered by his own enslaved people, that Delphine just felt it in her bones that these weren't people and these weren't animals to be beaten down. While she was a child and Mm. this just festered in her... Yeah. Until she was an adult. Everyone said she was super sweet, but you know, she like flipped on a dime. This one moment in yes. her life. Her uncle, which ever, <laughs> probably not even her creepy uncle. Ooh, so then it's extra deep. 1771, they were probably all creepy uncles, for being honest. <laughs> right. Then the violence of the Haitian slave revolt and the independence movement of 1791, which ended in 1804 really put fear in their bones and even worse still the uprising in new orleans in 1811 just like really solidified to her that these were not people but they were animals to be controlled and how dare they uprise so the reason why the laloris were so harsh to their slaves uh-huh, yeah. was because that their slaves yeah. didn't want to be didn't want to be slaves so they had an uprising mm-hmm. and that made them treat them yes. worse yes so it's the slaves fault yes that's called that they, gaslighting that they treated them yes like the, okay if gotcha, they had just it, behaved this mm. wouldn't be an mm-hmm. issue just be a slave i mean come on also sweet little danny rasmussen believes that the terrors of these events along with the growing consensus among fellow just super nice guy slave owners <laughs> to ramp up the violence of oppression which often was gruesome and publicly displayed mm. By the way, like, they would do this as, like, set an example and, like, murder yeah. someone in the town square. Yeah. Um, would prevent reoccurrences of uprisings and quell any anti-slave rhetoric being spread at the time. In this article that he wrote, I just had to pull this quote out because it was so juicy. Okay. <laughs> he directly says, the plantation owners, of which Lalaurie was one, were living in terror. And then he also recommended when you listen to or when you read the article that you listen to like a tiny violin playing the whole time Mm. okay so he's basically mansplaining about why they were so cruel to their slaves yes pretty much it's the slaves fault that they were skinned and they were chained Mm -hmm. because the lalories were scared they were so scared and it wasn't their fault okay i just want to make sure i'm following yeah yeah like if you didn't want to be like chained to the stove don't be so good at cooking you know what i mean 
I mean, don't like try to run away and we won't chain you and we won't gruesomely <laughs> murder you. It's that easy. Oh, it's ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. The thing is, is that Delphine was known to be aggressive towards the enslaved people that she owned, which hurts me to say every time I say it. Mm-hmm. Um, just the phrase enslaved people that someone owns just is fucking yeah. fucked up, man. Yeah. But her friends and neighbors just largely ignored how aggressive she was until 1833 when something happened in plain sight that the neighbors saw and they just couldn't ignore anymore. They saw Delphine chasing a young girl of only 12 years old, which I guess is almost marrying age, if we're being honest. They saw her chasing her around with a whip. Then they saw this child jump from the roof to escape the cruelty of Delphine. So she's chasing this child around outside. The kid runs up onto the roof to be like, I'm getting away from you any way that I possibly can. This girl jumps from the roof and she crashes to the ground, splitting her skull open on the bricks below. So she would rather kill herself than risk the chances of her being caught by Delphine and punished for it. Yeah, and get whatever punishment was coming to her. Oh, okay. Wow. So that makes me feel like it was probably going to be a pretty bad punishment. Yeah. Yeah. And the neighbor saw, you know, this child whose skull just cracked open and all this blood is spilling everywhere. And all of this happened apparently because Delphine became enraged with this girl, who, by the way, was named Leah. Very Mm. cute. Leah was brushing Delphine's hair, and she accidentally hit a knot with the hairbrush, which caused her to lightly tug on her hair, and Delphine flew off the fucking handle. Like, do you ever brush your hair, and you hit a knot, and you're like... Every day. I need to beat someone to death right now? No. (laughs) Because you're not an insane person. No. (laughs) So witnesses saw Delphine burying this girl's mangled corpse all by herself. So she's, again, doing hard labor by herself to hide something right now. Mm-hmm. So that's extra sketch to me. So they turn her in to the authorities. And the authorities were like, listen, Delphi, you can't do it in public, okay? You owe us $300. Here's a fine. And then also they made her sell the nine other enslaved people that she owned as like a punishment. Oh, But the authorities conveniently looked the other way when Delphine had her family members buy back those nine slaves. What? transfer them to her and then she also paid her family back for the expense and a little extra for the trouble can you imagine like being one of those people and be like fuck yeah we're getting out and then you get sold to somebody else and then they just bring you right back yeah and then it's like your job to brush your hair oh shit no shit dude (laughs) anti-cruelty laws did exist but they were mostly overlooked and I of keep, they were. I keep feeling this way. Um, so I'm just going to say it out loud. And it's going to sound so fucked up. But to really drive this home, I said anti-cruelty laws exist. Yeah. There are currently anti-cruelty laws for animals. Yeah. And they're also largely ignored unless people see it oh, directly. Yeah, of course. So just put that in your mind here when you're thinking about like enslaved people and what they went through. Right. Some point to her as selling like her slaves, which she was basically forced to do, as mm-hmm. an act of kindness. And they also just choose to ignore the fact that she brought them back. So people are saying, like, well, she was actually a nice guy. She sold her slaves. Because she was forced to. 
Right. And then she also, like you said earlier, emancipated two enslaved people Mm -hmm. at some point, which no one fucking knows why. No one knows why. Which seems weird to me. Yeah. But people see this as an act of kindness, even though no one ever knows what happened to these enslaved people. Oh. So my thought is, did she really free them? What's going on here? Yeah. It just, yeah, it doesn't seem... It seems uncharacteristic. Unless they, I don't know, maybe they knew something. She's trying to, I don't know. I don't know. I can't wrap my head around that one. Yeah, me neither. But people point to that to be like, well, Delphine Lellery wasn't that bad after all. I mean, she did set two people free, even though there were 50 people in her attic being skinned alive. And Nicole had mentioned earlier Harriet Martineau, who reported on the aftermath. She was one of the first people to write, like, yeah a true story of what happened. In her version of the story, I would like to read for you now. She says, Louis was many years younger than his lady and had nothing to do with the management of her property so that he has been in no degree mixed up with her affairs and disgraces. So Harriet is full on blaming Delphine now. Yeah. Because it was, was, she owned it. She owned the house. So she puts all this blame onto Delphine, calling her like a controlling mistress. And she paints her husband in the article a little bit as like kind of emasculated and just totally indifferent to what's going on. Mm, she says, funny. That, right? Crazy. She says that Delphine was able to get away with this because she was, quote, French Creole, graceful and accomplished, so charming in her manners and so hospitable that no one ventured openly to question her perfect goodness. Right. Blame the woman. Haven't heard that one before. Yeah. So it seems to me like the truth sort of lies somewhere in between all of this. I mean, she knew at the very least. Maybe she did all of it. Her husband knew. Maybe he did all of it. Mm -hmm. She and her husband were likely just extremely cruel to their servants and enslaved people. Mm -hmm. But who truly knows what happened? All I can say for sure is that I hope no matter what, they are both fucking suffering for what they did some way, somehow, somewhere. Right. Like they're uh, forever getting like a pineapple shoved up their assholes. Mm, Little Nikki style. The spiky side up. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Both of them. Absolutely. Do you think she did it? Absolutely. Do you think she was a mastermind? I think it was her and her husband. Yeah, I think, I think so they too. both were fucked up. I think they were both fucked up, but now I'm feeling like maybe it was his idea to do the weird torture shit. I think he did the weird torture shit, and I think she was just a bitch. This is like a very extreme, like lore, urban legend. Yeah. But like rooted in reality. Rooted in reality. Which yep. is maybe the scariest version of lore to me. Yeah. There's always got to be a little something rooted in reality. That's what makes lore scary. Yeah. Speaking of lore, I think we have a listener lore. We sure do have a listener lore. So this week's listener lore comes from listener and Instagram friend, Vicky. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Vicky. She writes, I love the podcast. Well, thank you, Vicky. Thanks. I was hired to work reception on the night shift, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., at a hotel in Monticello, Minnesota. It was a quiet, easy job. I would watch the security cameras and check guests in, the usual. While I'm facing the camera monitor, the lobby cam would be pointed directly at my back. Once or twice a night, my hair would get flipped on the back of my head. Oh, spooky. Like someone was trying to get my attention. 
I can clearly see on the monitor that no one is behind me. The lobby is two stories tall, so there were no air vents nearby. I just told myself it was nothing. That's honestly the best thing to do. Just ignore it. You got to. (laughs) This went on for about two months. One night, a guest came in. It was three in the morning. She was exhausted from driving. And as I was getting her checked in, I looked up and I saw a lady walk behind her towards the front door. She was about six feet away from the front desk. She seemed very tall, but I realized I didn't see her legs. Ooh. I did a double take and she was gone. Whoa. All all in the space of about five to seven seconds. Whoa. Whoa. I was stunned, but I know I saw her. I kept my cool for the sake of the guest. I knew how tired she was. (laughs) Very nice of you. That's very nice. I didn't want to say a lady disappeared right behind her. Can you imagine? Just be like, what? (laughs) That's probably for the best. There wasn't a door or a room nearby, just a wall. The desk was about 25 feet from the front door. I would have seen her exit. I never said anything to my coworkers about any of the things I experienced. I liked this job. I wanted to keep it. A couple days later, I saw the other night shift person at a company meeting. The first thing she asked me was if anyone had played with my hair yet. Oh, I got goosebumps. I just did too. My jaw dropped to the floor. Another coworker asked if I had seen anything weird yet. Holy shit. Both of us night shift employees described the lady we saw to someone else and compared descriptions. They were a match. <gasps> I went on to work the night shift for two and a half years. Oh my God, Vicky. Nice. I would too. I would too. You would. I never got scared from the hair flips, whispers, or the sudden cold spots. It didn't seem like an evil spirit, and I never saw the lady... The tall lady again. <gasps> the tall lady. Ooh. That's so cool. I'm happy that she never felt like she was like harmed or anything. Yeah. Like, she never got the feeling that she was being. No. You know. But I'd be like, can you braid my hair? You know what? Super into fishtails <laughs> lately. I will teach you. Let's watch a YouTube video. Do you think you could like get a ghost to kind of help you? Like, like do a nice fishtail That would be very cute. At least like a top knot would That's be really so appreciated. Cool. What was this hotel? And now I need to go up and look. In Monticello. Monticello. You got to give us the name because we live. Yeah. We live close to Minnesota. Probably, I mean, maybe seven to nine hour drive. Not far. Not far. We could totally take here. We'll just Uber there. It'd be super cheap. Vicky also ends it with, you asked me for a haunted hotel story. We did. We did. This really happened and coworkers had similar experiences. All right, we're going to need the name of this hotel. We need it. And also, if multiple people are experiencing the same haunting, it is real. And they they told their descriptions to different people and compared and they were a match. Oh, I'm so into it. So into it. How spooky scary. I wonder if there's a certain room. That's my my other question. First, what's the hotel's name? Sure. Second, is there a specific room that is more haunted than others? Sure. Also, how close is it to Mall of America? That's my question. <laughs> All right, Vicky, you got to let us let know. Let us know. Let us know. Hit us up. And if you guys have a super sick listener lore, like yes. our sweet friend Vicky here, um, maybe you stayed in a haunted hotel. Mm. Maybe you are a haunted hotel. That's crazy. Ooh. Are you a building? Let us know. <laughs> um, let us know. 
I, we we want to hear from you. We fucking love talking to you people. Yes. You, you are my favorite things. And also, I don't have a job now, so I just talk to our <laughs> listeners all day long, and it's amazing. So, slippery slide into those direct messages. That's DMs for you millennials out there. Um, we're on the Insta. We're on the Twitter. We're on the Face page. You can hit us up at Quite Unusual Pod on all of those platforms. Mm-hmm. And also, you can email us at quiteunusualpod at gmail.com. All of our source materials provided in our description. So if you want to do any research for yourselves, feel free. Yeah. And if you have anything to add to this story, because it's just like a plethora of finely woven silks and lures. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Let us know, because we also want to know that. And if you guys have anything cool that you want to send us or just like write a letter to us, I guess. Oh, real mail. We have a PO box. We'll write you one back. We'll write you one back. The P.O. Box address is, we are quite unusual, so please address it there. Thank you so much. The P.O. Box is P.O. Box 1212. 1313 was not available. It wasn't. I specifically asked for it, and the lady (laughs) thought I was insane. So it's P.O. Box 1212 in Des Plaines, Illinois, 60017. Which actually reminds me, we have a couple things from listeners that we have to go pick up. Yes. Very exciting. Um, Another thing that I want to plug is that we do have a book club coming up. Yes. The meeting will be this Saturday, the 14th. So you can find more information on our Facebook page. Our Facebook group. Our Facebook group. Join our Facebook group. That's right. Quite unusual podcast Facebook group or something like that. I truly do not know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but we are going to have the author there. It's a very fun book. It's Salem-y. It's witchy. It's, yeah. It's super cute. And also it helps support young independent writers, which is also very, very fun. So more deets on that on our Facebook group. Mm-hmm. I guess this is the time when we just tell you to celebrate the strange. And if you have time, keep it unusual. Bye. Bye.